Welcome to Season 2020, Episode 3. In this week's show, Dawner's latest 2020 calendar. Who is really choosing riders within Ducati? And we're on the couch with Dobby's psychologist. This is the Piscino Report. And welcome to the Pacino Report, the official podcast of PacinoGP.com, hosted by me, Dave Gill. This is the podcast that proves there may not be any racing out there at the moment, but there sure as heck is some news out there at the moment. There is, the, the news is flooding in. And as always, um, I've got my regular co-hosts uh, surrounding me and supporting me, and there's the big man waiting in the winds. I can see him nodding at me now, but um, we'll just... Uh, quickly uh flick over to andra andra how was your day i believe you've got some homework done for us do you know what because we're having all these exciting times at the moment trying to look at the benefit of being locked up today i watched (laughs) fastest and and over half of hitting the apex and a week ago i think we've mentioned in the other podcast a week ago you could have shown me a photo of valentino rossi i would have had no idea who he is i'd heard his name would not have recognized him I'm getting a bit obsessed already. We're meant to ease into this, but. <laughs> yeah. You're just enjoying the Brad Pitt commentary, aren't you, Andrew? So, welcome, to the, welcome to the normal world. Oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's just, it is, but it's such a whole other world and it's just, yeah, it draws you in. All right, straight off the bat, Valentino Rossi, hot or not? Oh, absolutely hot. What sort of question? That's not even a question, David. Not even a question. But is that Valentino now or Valentino 10, 15 years ago? Oh, anywhere after 16 years of old, because that's probably the safest way to answer. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the right? Is the age different in different countries? Politically correct. That's okay. I like it. Okay, thank you. We'll we'll, we'll let our listeners, um, yeah, we'll let our listeners let us know that. Stu, how you doing, mate? I'm going good. Thank you, Dave. Hello, uh, Andrew. Hello, Manuel. How are we all out there? Um, yeah, my day has been reasonably quiet today. I've just been uh, boning up on a, a little bit of uh, MotoGP history after after the last podcast. That uh, that got me very interested in some of those cancelled GPs and some of the scandals that's happened in the past. So I'm, I'm getting a lot of the passion back for MotoGP again, which which may have faded out after the you know last couple of years. But it's it's been it's been a good day. Yeah, thanks. I believe there was some virtual um, training going on today for you as well. There was some virtual training indeed. Ooh. Yeah, with with what's what's you know very topical with the, with the COVID crisis at the moment. Everyone's getting into MotoGP uh, virtual esports, so I thought I'd have a bit of a go at that for a while. Again, I haven't picked up the controller for a while, so um, my my two hours allotted time slot in my house was uh, was given over equally to MotoGP and F1 on the, uh, on the did Xbox. Did you fit into your virtual leathers like you did last time? <laughs> no, I, 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 I virtually spilled out of my leathers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need three sets of virtual up. leathers and then stitch them all together. And then I might, <laughs> I'm basically a full size cow. <laughs> and that laughing you can hear in the background is the man himself, Mr. Manuel Pacino. How are you, my friend? Hi, friends from Australia. I can't tell you about my day because it hasn't happened yet. So you are finishing, I am starting. So maybe you can, we'll tell, you know you, and you can tell me how my day will be because you already went through it. It's going to be wonderful, Manuel. I'm just looking in the time machine here. Um, I can tell you the lotto numbers this afternoon oh, will be... be oh, oh, my line's cut out. Sorry. <laughs> 
Look, you've got some. This is a big day for us. We've got some some news that's very, very hot off the press. Um, Manuel, uh, sort of help us understand what's coming out of Dorna at the moment. Yeah, we in our previous podcast, I think we mentioned that uh, everything can change. One, what we say one day can be old-fashioned the other one, Indeed and this is. is exactly what happened. Uh, Carmelo gave uh, an interview to. Um, a Spanish uh, newspaper here, saying things that I was really surprised about because he even mentioned the possibility of not having a championship this year, although he underlined that this would be an extreme situation. But what can be more logical, what we can more expect is a championship he, uh, with uh, 10 Grand Prix. Okay, He said that he has spoken with the uh, uh, International Motorcycle Federation, and uh, as you know, a championship had to have at least 13 Grand Prix to be considered a, a world championship, mm -hmm. but with this exceptional situation, uh, the Federation admits uh, 10 uh, Grand Prix at the minimum to, to give the okay as a championship. So that the next question that, that I immediately have there for you, Manuel, is does that mean that they're going to include the results from the virtual Grand Prix? <laughs> <laughs> so I think Ducati won't like it because they are not there. They were not invited. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the question that's immediately springing to mind was that why is 13 the magic number? I mean, the first Grand Prix was six, if my memory is correct. and if The first few seasons, 10, yeah. Yeah, yeah, why but, was... But, Hang on, this was 72 years ago. Many things have changed in the last 72 years. <laughs> True. <laughs> you covered those, those first GPs, Manuel, that. didn't you? Sorry? <laughs> you covered those first GPs, didn't you? Well, yes, it was in black and white. <laughs> Instead of, of, of taking photos, it was paintings, you know? <laughs> <laughs> So why is 13 the magic number? Why was 13 uh, Is this purely from a, a sponsor-driven perspective? Is there... I, I Look, what we do again here is speculating, but I think that uh, it's a number that Carmelo, the owner of the, or, or the, the CEO of the championship, knows or imagine he can run. Okay. You know, I think that's – he has a, obviously – he has a plan, which we don't know, but I think this number is what he thinks he can do. Fair call. So what, when, would every, when would everything need to kick back off then to be able to fit in those 10? Again, I think we have to imagine the championship from backwards to forwards, right? So mm -hmm. we have Valencia at the end of November, then we have these four overseas races that are Australia, Malaysia, Japan, and Thailand. And then we are already in five. So another option, another option which I consider could it's would be very strange. Look, imagine to do the ten Grand Prix in Europe is very easy, you know, because you move very quickly and it's very cheap. So maybe so you're saying to cut the flyaways. So maybe yes, the cut the flyaways. It would be strange, but it would be a very easy way to get to these ten Grand Prix that he needs. And I oh, tell you, I tell you it's, going to be, it's going to be very difficult for the Australians to watch 10 Grand Prix 
back to back week after week at that time of night. <laughs> well, we probably won't be going anywhere. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> and and this another thing I was thinking about, and this situation may open the alternative of this uh, special strange Grand Prix in Qatar that we mentioned in our previous podcast. You know, uh, because. As you know, there were the race Moto Two and Moto Three in Qatar at the March eighth. So there are MotoGPs missing there, and I know that the Qataris are probably the one in the world with less problems to finance this this race. <laughs> the old adage of if you throw enough money at it, you can solve it. Oh. <laughs> So there's, there's I've, I've been... never seen that not be true, to be honest. Exactly. That's what, what I was going to say. Yeah. So, so there's uh, been no before, talk. Before we progress, can, can I just press, hang on, Dave, before we go, go, no, no, go no. on, because I've, I've noticed recently as well that the World Superbike Championship, they're actually shifting some of their rounds. I think the, the possibly the French and a, let me have a look, a Spanish round, they're shifting to the end of the year. Um, is there thought of putting some of the rounds that we've already missed or we're going to miss on the end of the year, like tacking them back on? Indorna, who are ex- also the organiser of, of uh, World Superbike, they basically say that Superbike is the, what do you say, the, the smallest problem they have. They don't even think <laughs> about it. And if, and if, you, if you go through... Nobody speaks about World Superbike. It's just, when will MotoGP happen? When will MotoGP happen? So World Superbike, uh, Andra, this maybe you don't know yet. It's like the second division of motorcycle racing. Okay? The, yeah, they are... Yeah, <laughs> harsh, harsh, but true. <laughs> the riders go from that competition up to GP, or is it a whole separate... They try a lot of the time, yeah. Real, and realistically, so the main difference is, um, you know how you've got Bathurst supercars, that's with Holdens and Fords that you would realistically buy on, on the shop floor, but then you've got Formula One, therefore these complete prototype cars that you can't buy. Okay. It's the same difference. So MotoGP is bikes that are complete prototypes that you can't really buy anywhere, whereas mm-hmm. World Superbike is with, you know, ones that you buy off the uh, off the shop floor. As they say, race on Sunday, buy on Monday. Yeah, same, it, way it, different. It, if you ask the Superbike riders if they are as fast as the MotoGP riders, obviously they will say yes. If you ask the MotoGP riders about the Superbike riders, they are very polite and very, they said, well, it's a different world. Yeah, yeah. But there's all that riding between the lines. Yep. Yeah, but yep. at, at the end, yep. uh, racing are numbers and all, most of the guys who tried, who switched from World Superbike to MotoGP didn't do well. The gap is too big, in my opinion. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Who's who succeeded? Let's can we spend thirty seconds and just have a think about who's really succeeded? Succeeded oh, no. means what? Colin Edwards. Colin Edwards. You are Troy Bayliss. You are Troy Bayliss. Troy Bayliss. Succeed. Succeed is to win a race. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say he really succeeded at MotoGP though, did he? He was I he was a very very much a flash in the pan. He'd spent his career in superbikes. Yeah, and we can also put in this package uh, Nicky Hayden. He came from Nikki. Superbike USA. Yep. I think he, he came over very young. So basically he finished to build up as a rider in mm-hmm. MotoGP, you know? Yeah. 
So the list is very Nicely short. Nicely put. And, <laughs> and the other way around, you can see the other way around, uh, we have seen different riders getting uh, world champions in Superbike. We saw yes. Gintoli get world champion. We have seen Max mm-hmm. Biaggi getting world champion. We have seen uh, Carlos Checa getting world champion. You know, riders who didn't do especially well in, in Grand Prix, but did yeah. win in Superbike. Mm. Did Melandri make it to the top of the podium? Melandri won he, 22 races in Superbikes. In Superbike. What about in GP, though? He didn't, did he? Yeah, he won. He, 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 was, he, he finished runner-up. Champ- yeah, he didn't win a championship, though. Yeah. He, he finished runner-up one year behind uh, Valentino Rossi. Yeah. I can just hear the listeners screaming through uh, <laughs> The dashboard of the car. Don't you know this? You're an idiot. It was in 2000 and blah, and he won X amount of races. Come on, people. <laughs> we'll be more. We'll be more prepared next time. <laughs> this is a really good segue into uh, the next part of what we wanted to talk about, and we allu- we hinted at this in in the previous episode of of how teams uh, physically go about preparing. Um, who to put on their bikes? They said they spend millions upon millions of dollars. And, you know, I put that question to you, you know, earlier today, Andrew, of how much do you think a MotoGP bike's worth? And um, look, I was a bit wrong, wasn't I? (laughs) (laughs) But how how a team chooses to, to put a, put a rider on for the season. He said, Manuel, you've hinted that you've got some insight into especially how uh, the Bologna factory go about putting um, essentially a bum on a seat. I said, it, it's no small task. And the amount of thought that goes into that is, is quite incredible. Yeah, look, obviously there are three, four, five riders that are the top riders. Okay. But at the moment where these riders are hired by some, by any factory, the rest has to do uh, an analysis of the situation. Look, talking about Ducati especially, we have seen that uh, Ducati has lost the opportunity to hire uh, Maverick Vinales, to hire Fabio Quartararo, to hire Mark Marquez, would, and to hire even uh, Joan Mir. So in Bologna now, in Ducati, they have to sit down, analyze, and and see what they are going to do. So, Manuel, you're telling me it's like an episode of The Voice where they sit <laughs> <laughs> they sit down with the headshots of everybody and they say, yeah, he's, he's quite good in the high notes. Yeah. You know, That's well brought, very well brought, yes. Yeah, but, but at the end, instead of singing or, 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 or playing the piano, in this case, what they analyze is the statistics. So who would... Yes. I've got my suspicions on how you're going to answer this, and this is a completely cold question. Who would who would be at the head of that decision tree within Bologna? Who would? Yeah. Or who should? <laughs> who is? Who who is the, the ultimate decision maker? We've now got we've now got two two questions. Who who uh, would and who should? Look, in, in Ducati, there is, for Andra to understand this, Ducati is a, a motorcycle company, right? So they have the factory that build, build bikes for selling. And then inside that factory, there is a racing department 
in Italian called reparto corse. That sounds very, very cool. Mm-hmm. Reparto corse. And this reparto corse is a unit that, imagine, this unit only spends money <laughs> because, you know, it, they don't, they have no incomes. They just spend money. The rest of the factory basically works, among other things, to feed this uh, reparto corse, this racing department, right? But this the racing race... department must build their reputation and that's what makes people... Yeah, exactly. I could have a new Remember the, what I said before? You win on Sunday, they buy on Monday. Yeah. Exactly. More yeah. or less, it's the... And the Ducati... Look, the racing departments have basically three tasks, okay? One is the marketing, correct? What you said, showing the brand. And the other one is... Um, uh, like it's a development where the engineers can develop the bikes and the technique that later they put on the street bikes. You understand? So do they do make and do things to the bikes to suit certain riders or the bike is what it is and the riders have to adjust? Yes, the bike is very extreme. So they try things, for example, in, in, in Honda. What you see today in MotoGP in Honda certain uh, technical use issues or parts you will see probably in five years time on the street bikes mm-hmm. it's a laboratory no laboratory, yeah, laboratory. you yeah, say yeah, yeah, yeah. and the third issue for a racing department is to build their young engineers yeah. you know young engineers go there and there as they work with always extreme solution the engineers also learn so what happens many times that the factory sent to the racing department young in, engineer to work alongside the super top engineers, and then after four or five years, the young engineer returns into the production line. Yeah. Wow. So it's a whole system that works basically in all factories like that, in some less than in others. Honda is absolutely this way. So returning back to the original question, so the... The decision makers within the racing side, excuse my Italian, but the, the reparto cosa. <laughs> they, Did he do good? Was that okay? I can make it good. Well, he can, well, he can train. He can train. <laughs> he, he, he won't do the, the role of uh, an Italian in The Godfather 3, but it's okay. <laughs> I think you might need to try that next time you try to pick up, David. I'm not going to train just try to try to channel some some Scarface. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's Who is making the decisions uh, to put a rider on a chassis that is being developed? And as I didn't even think about it, who should be? Yes, look. Going back to your question, sorry to get lost in in the in the previous answer. <laughs> that's what we're here for. <laughs> the, the story is uh, this: uh, racing departments, the reparto corse, is an independent um, division inside the company. So it has his own CEO, right? And this CEO is with other top management. Is the one who should de- who should. I underline, should decide which rider will sit on the bike they develop and race. But I imagine that from just from my expertise of watching the two and a half movies about this, um, <laughs> they, they must, <laughs> the amount of time they fall off or get injured, they must, they'd have a, a plan in the back of their head on who they would like 
it's not like they're sitting there going, right, we've got this whole, you know, whether it's internal people, external people, they must have a bit of an idea. Or is there is there any other two riders in a team or have they got backups? Yeah, look, it, it's so difficult because it's it's a real problem for these guys because a MotoGP rider is something you cannot buy in a shop or just go around mm. and pick up somebody. So, look, to, for, to, to, to do an example, uh, the World Superbike World Champion that we we spoke in, uh, before about the World Superbike, he once went to MotoGP to sit on a bike of, of a rider who got injured. Mm-hmm. Casey Stoner. That year, he got injured, so the World Superbike Champion, who is Jonathan Ray, went to MotoGP. You know what the chief engineer of Honda did? The first thing he did, he said to the engineer, cut 24, 25 horsepower from the bike. Ah, yes. <laughs> because it was too, yeah. it was, he was the world, the world champion, but it's so extreme. So there are only, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to get there. You know, so there is, there is no step rider available. And there's, so it doesn't, well, there's not huge options then, is there? Especially for someone like Ducati, they must. Yeah, what, what, so what, what they do, they have a rider who is a test rider. You know, mm-hmm. he's test rider, and, and when this happens, he jumps in. But it's an emergency solution. They have not somebody waiting. Because mm-hmm. if they had somebody waiting that was that is good enough, he wouldn't be waiting. He would sit on another bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So at, at the moment, they've got Michelle Piero, who's a very good rider. Um, he crashes very well at 300 kilometers now, um, as we, we can show you that footage uh, later on. Um, but yeah, right yeah there there isn't. The, yeah, we have the evidence that there isn't a, um, a a conveyor belt of riders waiting to come through. Obviously, as as Manuel is telling us about now, they they have the statistics of all these riders, and so they they know what you know, what they've done in the past and and where they're going. But it's up to them to make the decision in the end. Dave. So we've established that the CEO should be making the decisions. So the question goes back again. I feel as though there's a little bit of deflection here. Who is yeah. actually? I think we should have waited for fun because I, I want to see Dave's head spin off. <laughs> I feel like there's a. I feel like there's a butt coming. Look, look, it's interesting to see the CEO of the racing department. He always is going to choose the guy who is the fastest for him. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but this may be a conflict with the CEO of the whole company because the CEO of the whole company needs maybe a nice-looking guy, a guy who is good in PR. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't need to be ex. He has to be fast. But if the guy is not good in PR or the, images he, the image he gives to the Ducati, this is for them very important. At, at, the, end, at the end, as the big company, finances the racing department they are not independent they hang of the last okay from the ceo of ducati mm. so can can i just pick up on something that you said there manuel as well you, you spoke about the image of the company um is that more of a concern as well for ducati given the history and the image the very specific image that they have more so than your Hondas or Suzuki's or yes, something like that? Is, absolutely. That, that hangs over their head, doesn't it? Absolutely. The, the company who takes care more about the image is Ducati because yeah. Ducati is a very expensive bike. So the Ducatisti, that, is, that are the guys who ride Ducatis, they, they feel like very proud of being Ducati. 
You know, it's like, a, how do you say in English, tribu, tribu, a trip? A, a dream. A, no, 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 a, a group of, no. of person, una tribu. Trio. Like, like the Sioux in India, a tribu, one tribu, you know. A tribe. Oh, a, a tribe. tribe. Yes, so, exactly. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, Sorry yeah, yeah. for my No, English. no, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it's like Sorry a tribe. Sorry for my ignorance. Yeah. The, the Ducati yes. is the Ducati is like a tribe, and therefore 100%. it's very important. It's very important. Mm. And I tell you something: the CEO of the whole company sometimes he says it's not. It's more important what the rider transmit that even winning. Mm. But yeah. if if you ask this to the engineer, he pushes his head. <laughs> They can't comprehend that level no, of because the engineer they want requirement. To, they exactly, want to win. Yeah. They race to mm -hmm. win. They don't race to sell bikes. But this happened to all the engineers of Honda. The same as they yeah. just spend money. You know, they they got a budget and then spend, 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 spend. Yeah. So they don't. But care. as we say for for Ducati, it's, there's just that that extra element of pressure on those executives having to think about and make that decision all the time as well. I'm going, to, I'm going to put the question on the table that I think there's going to be a few people out there who, who are regular viewers to MotoGP and would see the, the, the very familiar faces within the box, the, the um, David Tadotsis, the, the Gigi Linias. How much of an influence do those guys actually have on the trajectory of a rider? Or as you said, does it, does it come down to the CEO and the CEO's decision? Look, in the in Ducati Reparte Corso, there is one guy who uh, rules it. He's the king. And he is one who decides. And he's so, how do you say, when he doesn't change his mind, he's uh, very stubborn. stubborn. And this guy is Gigi Dalinha. You know, he's uh, the, the engineer, the boss of this Reparto Corso. And he his CV is extremely brilliant. And like all these people who are brilliant, even the same the writer, for them to listen to somebody who says something against or different than what they think is very, very rare, you know? They qualify people to, this one I has the status that I listen to him. All the rest can talk, I don't listen. So Gigi is the one who decides. Around him there are another... A court of um, of uh, managers like the one you mentioned, that is Davide Tardozzi, that is the team manager, or there is uh, Claudio, no, uh, Paolo Chavati, who is the sport manager. But at the end, Gigi is the one who decides. Gigi Dalinia, and he is incredible, hard, you know, incredible. Uh, radical in his points of view very much very much in fact uh david do you allow me to jump over the list that ducati was doing and, and tell you a different story yeah oh, we love your out. story yeah, that, that was going to be my next question yeah yes because man, man, well, let, let me remind you this podcast has your name in it so you can pretty much do whatever you want <laughs> yes but you know if you don't control me i am a very anarchist. <laughs> so if you don't guide me, we get completely, we, we end in the sea. This is fine. This is what we're doing. Is we, we, lay the, yeah, we lay the bait down and yeah, we wait for you to then bite and accelerate. This is what, we, this is what we're here for. Look, 
But let, 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 let me explain you. The story is a little bit, I try to make it as clear as possible. We are talking about Gigi Dalinha. Show me full anarchy. Sorry? <laughs> Show me full anarchy. So, <laughs> so again, let's let, look. The Gigi Dalinha, the, the head of the Reparto Corse, right? And he has in his team uh, a rider called Andrea Dovizioso, who has been a uh, runner-up in the last three years. The only guy who finished behind Supermark Marquez that everyone agrees that is in another level. Okay, so looking at this and another another date, Dovizioso is the rider who has won more races in the last year after Mark Marquez. So it seems that he is the best alternative because having finished three times behind Mark, it shows that he is the best after Mark Marquez. The problem is that Gigi Dalinha, as an engineer, he looks at his CV and he doesn't trust him. Really? It's Even because though he knows doesn't trust the number two man. guy. Yes, but he doesn't trust look, uh, you have to think how an engineer thinks. An engineer, uh, what cannot be expressed in figures for an engineer doesn't exist. Okay. No. So they take the figures and he look at the figures. Andrea De Vizioso has done very well in the last three years. But mm-hmm. before that, he had won one race in MotoGP and his last mm-hmm. world champion in 125. So they're just I, looking I, at his overall statistics rather exactly, than... Exactly, exactly. Exactly. I think we mentioned wow. that before. A, a real champion wins since he is a kid. And then he yeah, comes winning. Yeah. So, Gigi never trust uh, Andrea Dovizioso, okay? So, in fact, it was Gigi who hired Jorge Lorenzo in the past, in 2000 and, do you have memory? 2016. Uh, 16. 16. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Andrea. <laughs> I'm going to go buy a lot of tickets. That was a good guess. No, that was a guess. The Apprentice has come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to check that's right, though? <laughs> it's like in the horse race when suddenly one comes from behind. <laughs> okay. So he hired, look the situation. Uh, Andrea Dovizioso was Ducati rider uh, in 2015, 14, and 13, and so on. So as he didn't win, Gigi convinced Philip Morris to hire Jorge Lorenzo that at that time was Megaton. So to Lorenzo switched from Yamaha to Ducati, getting 11 million uh, euros or US dollar. Again, I don't know which money they work with, but it's the same amount. To switch from Yamaha to Ducati, 11 millions, okay, per year. Absolutely crazy money. Yes. And now the crazy thing is the following. So Gigi Dalinha, uh, before the arrival of Lorenzo, Dovizioso was making 3 million per year. Correct? Wow. So as Lorenzo comes, they called uh, Andrea Dovizioso and said, look, we are cutting your, your salary from 3 million to 1 million. What? And you have to decide within the 24 hours. If you don't decide, there are a lot of people who will accept this. 
So imagine he was he was humiliated that way, and he had to accept. This is okay. Godfather material. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he arrives, and then the first season Lorenzo did very bad, very bad, disaster. And that's a rather a big and Dovizioso, <laughs> This is good. The thing the Dovizioso won in a single year six races. Before wow. that, he he had not won one in four or five years. He must be pretty incredible because when you're telling that story before about the pay cut, to me, I'd think most people would have a, have an attitude and be like, "Stuff you," and maybe not perform as well. But he's obviously yeah, no, got the yeah, right. Yeah, but his manager uh, was very smart because he said, "Okay, you are you cut uh, the salary, we accept, but put in performance bonuses, yes. bonuses, yes. Oh, performance awesome. bonus." And, and look at and as he has never performed before. The, bo- the bonuses were astronomic, huge. A <laughs> little bit of motivation. <laughs> and But the motivation was ma- more sporty than money. But I tell you, look, for each win that year, he was making 200000 oh, to finish shit. To finish Europe. second in the championship, which he did, yeah. he got yeah. 500000 So there's six wins plus the 500000 Exactly. So six wings are twelve hundred plus five, seven, and the other podium. He made that two million. And I, at that time, I spoke with the Gatti if they had done an insurance on that because normally when you do this contract, (laughs) you do insurance in case of. And they said, "Look, nobody could imagine this. Not even him. Not going to (laughs) happen. Not even him could imagine." The engineer looked at the stats and went, "Yeah, no chance." Yeah, but but this is just the money side. The other side is much more interesting, and that's why Gigi Dalinia called to called me to his track to talk with me personally. Look, when Jorge Lorenzo arrives at the team. He starts to ask for a certain things on the, to be done on the bike. This bike doesn't work. You have to do this and this and that. That were exactly the same things that Dovizioso was telling the engineer for the last <laughs> two years. Wow. So, so attention to the story. Then Dovizioso went to the engineers and said, look, I have been asking you to do this for the last two years. As you don't trust me, you have done nothing because you you thought that what I was saying was nonsense. I had no idea. Now this guy comes, you hire a guy, you pay him 11 millions, you cut my salary 66%, and then at the end, you do exactly what I have told you to do. Unbelievable. That's a kick in the teeth. Yeah. Yeah. So why yeah. from whenever that, when was that? When's this story from? Like since, then, l- l- since then, since that conversation. Which did, was, that, that conversation was 2016, 2017? Yeah, more or less, well. 16, 17, uh, during yeah. 16. And that's obviously common knowledge. In- oh, man. And this, this is three years ago, and three years ago, and they have been racing together. And Andrea Dovizioso has been the number one driver and mm. has been winning. And still, La Linea doesn't trust him because he didn't win. 
And if you're Joe Average watching the TV, uh, for that you have no idea that this is going on. No, nobody knows because all you're seeing is yeah. I mean, when 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 Dovi has a good result, you see Gigi up the up the uh, up the side of the pit wall there, shouting and screaming and clapping and smiling. And when he comes into the paddock, you see him slapping him on the back and and congratulating him. No one knows any of this. So, do you want to an explanation for that? He's clapping to the bike. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because he's. Claro, yep. porque he thinks and, for the red bike. he thinks and he says this without getting red face my bike is capable to do better than what you do that's what he says to Dovizioso so when he when Dovizioso wins who wins Dovizioso no nah. nah. His bike wins. Yeah. Was he was was he there when this is me, this is me and my expertise again? I learned today. So, <laughs> for, I can't remember which movie it was now. When when Rossi um, stopped when Ducati. they thought, well, no, yeah, and they thought it was no, the bike, no, and then no. he left he was, and He was the one who arrived at the firefighter into Ducati after Rossi destroyed Ducati. Yeah. Okay. The passage of yeah. the passage of Rossi through Ducati, he. He literally destroyed everything. Ducati was, was like, yes, exactly. Wow. So okay. Gigi was an engineer of another Italian company, Aprilia. Mm-hmm. So they hired him and it took for him uh, two, three years to build up out of the ring what uh, Valentino did there. And I think there's a, I think there's a whole episode around uh, Valentino's trajectory uh, over that time as well and how that sort of... Uh, panned its way out uh, to where we find ourselves today. He's, I was just going to say the one thing I... No, no, Valentino squeezed down to the bones, Ducati, you know. It was like if a, a hurricane were, you know, one of these uh, uh, tornadoes that go through Nebraska, mm-hmm. and this was the same. It was more yeah. or less the same. Cyclone yeah. Valentino. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things I was going to say was the difference between... I've always seen the footage and you'd have far greater insight is that Gigi is always, it seems very contained. And whereas the, what I see is some of the heart and the soul and some of the marketing that goes into behind Ducati is, is quite the opposite. It's extremely rich, passionate, um, living, putting the emotion out there. And I think nothing typifies in recent memory of Petrucci's win at uh, Mugello and uh, Tardozzi's celebration. I mean, he, he was he was throwing fire extinguishers. <laughs> he was that excited. Is they? Yeah, no. The, the Ducati look. The Italians they 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 are so passionate. I I imagine you have been in Italy. In Italy, you go to the restaurant to any restaurant, any restaurant you see photos on the wall, Formula One or motorbikes. They mm. they breathe racing, you know. Instead of using the how do you say the sodorante, they put on gasoline every morning under the. <laughs> but there's, there's the reality of Gigi the person versus what we see through media match because I've always seen him as very contained, always very. Yeah, no, but he's a genius. But Look, Gigi is a genius, so he's an. He engine. needs to get. Tardozzi is an ex-rider. Tardozzi is an ex-rider, so he can afford to do this. Okay. Gigi is cold like an iceberg. That's um. That's got to have an impact on it. So do the do the two of them match each other quite well? Or? 
no, look, uh, you have been in the army. One is the sergeant and the other one is the colonel. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you want to know, you, the first thing you have to do is what we, I think we spoke before, is to check what you have in-house. Mm-hmm. Okay, you check what you have in-house. Okay, our options are this, this, and this. Is there outside anything that gives us more guarantee than what we have? If you look at the figures, the answer is no, because the guy who has been the runner-up in the last year is inside. But as I have explained you, the guy who runs it doesn't trust him. Mm -hmm. So even with these figures on the table, he will say, no, 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 no. We need another one. So if they're all obviously under contract, so how does that work? Because it's not like the person they want might not be available. Exactly. That's it. That's why they have to do a list. So the list that is option A, option B, option C, and then at the end of the list is a gun to shut in the head when they don't get anybody. <laughs> so writers could writers then break a contract where they are if they wanted to switch or they can't. They're no, because they, they, they switch at the end of the season. All the riders oh, in okay, MotoGP, okay. We, all the contracts of the MotoGP rider will finish in at the end of 2020. Oh, okay. I was thinking it was like five years or you know no, long no, no. term. Oh, okay. Oh, that makes it way more fun. Yeah, and in so fact, in, in, sorry, in uh, Manuel Casino's um, world, who's on that list? Do you think, Manuel? Obviously, we, we've got the obvious ones. Who are the, who are the four factory riders at the moment, and potentially Piero, the the test rider. But outside of that, where are they going to be looking? Are they looking to other MotoGP teams or are they looking to Moto2 for, for new blood? Stu, do, oh. you let, do you let me leave this question open for our next podcast? <laughs> oh, you got you to leave me hanging. I'm also curious. I'm curious what the public's thinking. I'd love it if people comment Abs- on our Yes, yeah, know, please. If, if you are writing. listening, there's going to be a few days before the next one, so please mm. um, like, subscribe, comment in uh, on, on all of the all the social media who you think is on that list and uh, make sure you tag me no, to, but, uh, but, to, to let me know. Look, there is no, there is no marketing strategy behind this, no. The only thing is that it won't go for hours if I start talking. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have a problem with this personally. The one thing I will do is circle back onto a comment that Andrew made about Dovizioso's mental strength of of how he has had to endure and what at times can I can only imagine is an absolutely crushing environment and to be able to get on that bike and to live as you said he he's he's been able to deliver something that 23 other people on the grid haven't been able to do the yeah. that 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 mental strength has to come from somewhere and you've alluded in the last couple of days that you've had a very very interesting conversation with a Chilean mental coach that might have some insight into that yeah you know we had a in an Italian TV program I, I, I collaborate, we had the, the mental coach of Dovizioso as a guest. And I have to tell you that for me, it was like a masterclass. I was completely with my mouth open when he started to explain stuff. But before explaining, I wanted to say to you that the environment of Dovizioso, all the rest of the team are with him, support him. 
are proud of him, trust on him. But it's the colonel who simply doesn't trust him. You know, it's, it's like all, all the rest, because all the rest see what he has done, admit what the other one simply, as an engineer, look, this is how engineers think, you know. <laughs> The, the figures, figures, tell me, don't tell me about feelings and what I, get, show me the numbers. Okay, so going back to this uh, Ch Chilean guy, his name is, uh, uh, I don't remember now. Well, anyhow, this guy is very surprising. When I was told that he was a psychologist, I said, well, another one who will lay you down on the sofa and, <laughs> and let you talk. But he told me, look, no, we, we don't work with words. We are uh, technicians. We work with dates, the same like an engineer. So what do they do? The, the method is amazing. They basically put a lot of sensors on the head of the rider they are working with. They film the, the eyes, how the eyes move, the reaction of the eyes, and hands and feet, okay? And then they put the riders in situations like uh, they may face in the race. They have to do this outside the race because they cannot, not, they can't put this sensor with the helmet on. So which, sit, which situation they can, uh, they try to clone. They try to clone stress situation. They try to understand what happened with a rider when another one hits him. And then all this is recorded uh, with electronic waves, okay? And so they could just send him to Ho Chi Minh City and get him to drive around for a day. That, that would do exactly the same thing. It's the single most stressful experience of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I think the machines are not prepared for that yet. <laughs> so, look, then... He, is, he started to explain a lot of things. And one question we, we made to this uh, guy was if there was a special characteristic that all the champions have, okay? Mm -hmm. And he said, yes, it's very clear. Because he also works with tennis player, with a football player. So he works with different athletes or tops. He said, yes, there are three characteristics that all champions have. He said... He described the, these characteristics as columns, you know, the columns that sustain the a champion. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's very interesting. Look, they said the first one, it's very clear, is they, they all have a dream. I mean, a dream is a goal. Yep. You know, he yeah. said this dream in these guys are extremely... Um, uh, inside, you know, very, very hard because it makes that him wake up in the morning at six o'clock, run 20 kilometers. It makes when he's tired, it makes that he keeps on pushing because he thinks this is my dream. This is my dream. I have to go. It, it gives him the drive. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This gives him the motivation. Let's call the motivation. Mm -hmm, yeah. But this dream is specially installed inside these guys in a level that we all have dreams, okay? We all want to lose 20 kilos. But <laughs> the, these guys do it. 
right? Yeah. Okay. Or 30 with some of us. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's not even, oh, yeah, I don't need to do that today. I'll do it tomorrow. It's, uh, it's exactly. A, so it's, the, these are yeah. the guys who, this is what, what gives them the gasoline to keep pushing. Mm. The second column is interesting, is the environment, the people who surround the guy. Okay, so obviously, if a, if he has a toxic uh, environment, it has a, it has to be a, a, an environment that helps him to keep focused, but at the same time, an environment that makes him uh, stay with the feet on the ground. You say in English, mm-hmm. yes. And an environment that tells him the things that are wrong that he doesn't want to hear. So he can't surround himself with, yeah. with yes men. Yeah, you know, for, for example, there are ones who want to be surrounded by those who clap on your shoulder. And anything he does, no even, if he's, even, even if he's wrong, they say, no, the, you are right, the other one is wrong. So this, the, how no, do you no, say, no. The, the environment. Valentino Rossi. <laughs> <laughs> but, we've got a bit of feedback. Who, who said that? Was there an echo? <laughs> I've got an echo in here. And then the point number three is the self-confidence. You know, how strong they see themselves. I am super strong. I am no sé qué. I'm no sé cuánto. And this, he put an example, uh, a a, a a perfect way to check this is tennis. You know, tennis is a sport where you have, you face so situations so strange that every time you, you play a set, you can lose 6-0, 6-1, and then you have to be capable to start from zero and, and leave behind everything. That's not a normal human trait, is it, at all? Yeah, and this, this, this comes, look, it's so interesting. This comes linked with what discovered uh, the stress, how they work with the stress. That is very important in a writer. So the, the psychologist asked us, which were in the program, what happened to you when you get stressed? Well, well, you, you uh, how do you say, the adrenaline comes out and you get, bah, bah, bah. he said, Hang on, I've just got to go and ask my kids. <laughs> <laughs> but the most interesting thing when it's talked about stress that, that amazed me was, look, the most important thing for a MotoGP rider when he got stressed is when you are stressed, you, you disconnect from the present and you start to think in the future. The future can near future or a future can be five seconds. In a, like ahead. dissociation type thing, like dissociating and taking them out of the situation. No, because yeah. so you get stressed they're, they're about something. Yeah, let's go back to racing. That is what uh, this mm. is about. The racing is, look, he says to me, when a rider drives or rides down the straight at Mugello at 350 per hour, if he, in half a second, he disconnects of what he's doing, it's mm. super dangerous. First, it's dangerous. Second, he will never act as as accurate as if he thinks in what he's doing. Yeah. If he goes down the straight and he starts to think, wow, a rider is behind me. Where is going to overtake me? Where is going to break? Will he be faster than me? So, you know, that, then he loses for a fraction, one, two seconds, he's done. 
yeah. it's game over. So what, what do they do with this? It's so interesting. So they analyze, 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 and then they see in the, in the eyes or in the, when he starts to get in stress situation. So what they do is they teach the rider, uh, they teach the rider for him understand, understanding signs that tell him that he's going into stress mode. So to try to uh, stop it before it happens. Okay. So they say, look, wow. if, so uh, if, if this appears, you apply what we, t we have told you. You understand? So it's fascinating. Isn't it? This was, this was Eugenio Lezama. I've just looked yes, him up. Yes, Eugenio Lezama. Exactly. Yes. He's did a he, Chilean. Did he point towards, are some people naturally programmed to this or is this something that everyone has to be taught? No, yeah, I think, look, I explained you something. This Eugenio Lizama, he was there because invited by the electronic engineer of Mark Marquez, who also was a guest. Now I'm starting to understand. <laughs> the story is half, is half the, 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 the story is a little bit uh, twisted. Look, this engineer was before the engineer of Andrea Dovizioso when Andrea okay. was in Honda. Yeah. Okay. Andra, are you still here or you got lost? Oh, yeah. I'm sitting here nodding. I'm, I'm, okay. Yeah. So this engineer, <laughs> so when Andrea's manager decided that he needed a mental change to improve, he called this uh, neuropsychologist from Chile. He must be somebody known in the world. So he can't. But Andrea didn't believe in psychologists. He said, no, this is nonsense. He's going to come and tell me the violin and so on, you know? And so what happened? The engineer offered himself to do the experiment so Andrea could see the changes. So he could wow. accept. And this engineer called uh, Eugenio Lesama to the program because he told, look, this guy has changed my life. He has Crazy. changed com completely my approach in the whole life, how I see things. And obviously when Andrea saw how he worked with uh, the, this engineer that today is Mark Marquez engineer, Andrea accepted and he has done that big step of having not won anything for the last five years and winning mm. six races in a row. This is the so is, the result. Is there a correlation in in when he started using the psychologist and when he started winning, roughly? It's not in the result. It's in the attitude. So when Lorenzo arrived in Ducati, he could have gone into the hole because mm -hmm. he was disrespected. He was ba -ba 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 -ba. nobody trusted. Yeah. But the attitude... With the, is what changed the guy. The so did, he, did he have the psychologist to help him with the attitude on that? Year? Yeah, was, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Okay. There we go. Because the psychologist doesn't ride the bike. Yeah. <laughs> the one who rides <laughs> the bike that the, he teaches him. It's an attitude change. Mm. I did notice yeah. that watching the videos, though. Again, with my um, level of knowledge, you can really see the personalities and those. I think it's what you're speaking of. Like it is quite obvious the ones that are in that place. 
Claro. Look, it's the, the ones that have got that self that self confidence and that and that focus and that drive. And he said yeah. to me another thing. He said that was funny. He said, "Look, you realize when a champion, old guy who is already a champion, starts to decline, one yeah. of these columns starts to fail. When he starts to to no no to use to... excuses when he starts to mm. use excuses, you know, then you say, oh oh." He's starting yeah. to. Uh, the bike wasn't very good today. Sorry, didn't Max Biaggi write that book? <laughs> but look, the Roman Emperor. Look, no, Dave. But... Actually, can I, if I just can, can acknowledge, I believe today is the anniversary of Max Biaggi's MotoGP debut. Yes, what where a race. he what a race. qualified yeah, in Japan, where he qualified on pole and won his first race. I was there, but it was <laughs> the whole thing of. Uh, Biaggi being called a contender was like, well, hang on a minute. I think Randy Mamelo actually put it, you know, very well. To be a contender, you actually have to win. So. Yeah, yeah. Let, let let me go quickly back to to the the this uh, psychological story. He said to me, "Look, when can a rider start to doubt about him? About with these three columns, when he wins, for example, his dream. When he wins, very often." His dream may be fulfilled, so we have to look for mm. other challenges. And point number three, when he thinks that he's the strongest, I am the strongest, nobody can beat me. Then he's, he thinks, for example, I am the best, hardest breaker in the championship. And suddenly a young guy arrives, you think you are breaking hard, and suddenly a young guy arrives and wow, breaks two meters later. Then <gasps> there is a shock. So there start to decline their self-confidence and there is where it starts to decline the, the champion. But even that alone, like you mentioned, you've got that dream to win. And from what I saw today, they're winning 45, however many times. Yeah, how do they, what keeps them? Because the once cha- you're at the top. The championship, they want to win the championship. For example, I don't know what Mark Marquez thinks. Mark Marquez has won uh, six MotoGP titles, right? Yeah. I think that his goal is to beat Valentino's titles or to beat Agostini. They have to invent a dream. Yeah, to be the best. They have to keep on pushing. That makes him do uh, 10 more push-ups in the gym than normal, you know? That's that's the key. Hmm. Look, fascinating insight again, Manuel. This is what we've got you on for is the... Put that, uh, yeah. Put that goal in front of you, and then you just uh, kick it through, and we all stand back and uh, and, and look at the uh, look at the skill. Yeah. We just sit there and go, "Wow!" So I, I, I'm sorry, but the scripts, I dynamite the scripts every time I come out, <laughs> and we don't mind. <laughs> no, we'll we'll catch this. Um, yeah, we'll. We'll definitely catch this. Once again, thank you so much, Manuel. Uh, this is this is definitely what uh, the, the uh, listeners are looking for. I'd also like to thank the co-host as well, uh, Stu, Andrew. Thank you so much uh, for yeah for adding your insight and adding your participation on this day. I'm going to go do um 50 push-ups now just to which is your dream? <laughs> okay, confess, confess. Which I is want to be dream? able to. I want to be able to get up out of bed instead of rolling in the morning. <laughs> oh, I'm just going to go and have another pie. So. <laughs> That's your dream. I, I, That's I, your dream. Yeah. <laughs> I admitted defeat years ago. 
<laughs> okay, guys. No, thank you. Thank you very much, Manuel. It's, it's, uh, it's been amazing uh, as, as it is every time, the, the insights are coming out of your brain. Thank you so much. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Dave, for putting this together. You're an absolute star, everybody. Thank you. I, I promise that the A-list of Ducati will be completed next podcast. As long as you don't ask me anything. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to lie awake at night tonight thinking of it, just thinking of a list. Yeah, well, what you can do, send it to that. me. I'm just looking at the Moto2 lineup here now going, no, 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 no. Moto2, Fabio no, no. Di Antonio, yeah. Lorenzo Baldassari. The, the A-list, the A-list too has to be riders that already are capable to win. Then there is a B-list. Yes. But we, are, we do first the A-list and then the B-list. Every, everything at its time. Perfect. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you. I think you're letting too many cats out of the bag at this stage. Was there ever a bag? <laughs> All right, on to the next episode so we can find out what happens. Look, if you are getting – if this episode is putting a smile on your face, the absolute best thing you can do is give us a five-star rating uh, on Apple Podcast or within the uh, Spotify universe, universe as well. Is it in there, five-star – rating and uh, leave your comments we're also all over the socials at the moment we're, we're getting our feet in that and we're expanding rapidly Stu where can they get you uh, they can get me on the gram at quickdraw underscore 73 Andra uh, yep on Instagram I'm on there with it's Andra A-N-D-R-A underscore the Pacino report and we've got our or you can talk about our page one Dave absolutely and Mr. Pacino where can they uh, where can the universe find you I am in all the social uh, media with Pesino GP. That's it. On Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, there, there I am. And here, of course. Absolutely. They've, they've obviously found you uh, through the podcast uh, networks. So the absolute uh, big one for us on this podcast is the Pesino Report uh, on Instagram. We're easy to find there. Feel free to stop by, have a chat. Um, as I said, I'm in there every 15 seconds. I've got um, two young daughters that I'm trying to keep an eye on. So. <laughs> <laughs> got nothing better to do. With one eye on the kids, one eye on Instagram. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you very much. It's been go fantastic. to bed. Thank you. I, I'm so going much. to eat something. You go to bed, please. Absolutely. Okay. Yes, go and enjoy way. the rest of your day, Manuel. Thank you. you. Take care. Stay safe, please. You too. Cheers. Speak soon. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Bye.